it's my honor and privilege to introduce Mike Lumpkin, who's a, a mentor and a friend of long standing. This is a bit of a dangerous situation, me introducing Mike Lumpkin. I don't know if I've ever done this before, but let me just say, uh, I would love to tell you lots of things about Mike Lumpkin. I could tell you he used to work with, for IBM back in the day, and that he's married to Ellen, and they have two wonderful daughters, and then he served in a parish in Aiken, and then he served as the rector of a church up in Spartanburg, and then he came to St. Paul's uh, Somerville, where he and I overlapped for six years, and no, you may not ask him any questions about me after the service. You, he knows stuff about me that you must never know. <laughs> but I think what I would like to tell you, I could say all those things, but what I would like to tell you about Mike Lumpkin is he is a remarkable, quiet, determined Christian leader. And at that parish, St. Paul's Somerville, where we served together, there had been a cycle of rectors since the 60s, and no rector, not one, lasted more than about four years. There were a few that made it almost to five. And when Mike Lumpkin came in 1995, he worked with two other priests, Mike Szymanowski and myself, and he smashed that cycle, and they finally got the facilities that they needed, and they are now a flourishing parish, and it's mainly thanks to him. So he's a wonderful Christian leader, and we're very honored to have him with us this morning. Thank you. That's a bit of hyperbole, but I'll uh, <laughs> um, accept it, I think. And Jacob, I'm wondering, maybe you could put the Revelation reading back on the screen without too much trouble and just leave it on there for the, uh, for the sermon. That would be wonderful. And I'm blessed to be with you this morning. Thank you, Craig, for the invitation. And thank you, Kendall, for the welcome uh, to preach to those of you present and to those worshiping from your home and elsewhere. Let me open with a prayer which is the college that we just heard, but let's hear it again, portions of it again. Almighty God, you have knit together your elect in one communion and fellowship in the mystical body of your Son. Give us grace so to follow your blessed saints in all virtuous and godly living that we may come to those ineffable joys that you have prepared for those who truly love you. Amen. My father died on November 6, 1969, 51 years ago this week. I was 18 years old, homesick as a freshman college student in Tennessee, a long way from my home in Rock Hill, South Carolina. Dad was a parish priest all his life, all his adult life. He he died on November 6th, a Thursday. The previous Sunday, four days earlier, Dad had preached his last sermon. He did not know it was his last sermon, but in four days he would die of a massive coronary, a heart attack. My mother, brothers, sisters, and I were devastated. As the eight children of Bill and Dallas Lumpkin came home to Rock Hill for the funeral, some of us in college, some in graduate school, the two oldest out of school, we soon learned and heard of Dad's remarkable sermon preached on All Saints Sunday, just four days earlier. 
dad titled the sermon Certainty. Certainty. In the second paragraph, however, he wrote and spoke, to sum up my problem, I have lately had strong doubts about the reality of life after death. After Dad's burial here on Edisto Island, we all finally got copies of that last sermon. I read it the first time with bated breath. Had Dad lost his faith in the last year of his living? What did he mean? I lately have had strong doubts about the reality of life after death. I'm thinking even today, Jesus had told us, I go to prepare a place for you that where I am you will be also. Jesus told us, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Jesus told us, everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. What had happened in this final year of Dad's life? But there was more there in that sermon. I will tell you before the end of this sermon. Among other consequences of his sudden, unexpected death that November 6th, the theme and focus of All Saints Day acquired for me an interest, even a love, a devotion, a happy expectancy every year since then to revel in the themes of All Saints Day. For those of you who are especially sharp about the Christian calendar, you know that All Saints Day today is officially and formally recognized as one of the seven principal feasts of the calendar. If you look at page 688 of our Anglican prayer book, you can even sort through that right now, it's page 688, you can read about our seven principal feasts that take precedence over any other day or observance. All Saints Day stands right alongside Easter Day, Christmas Day, and the day of Pentecost. It's a principal feast. And if you are especially sharp about the Christian calendar, you know there is a perfectly lovely optional commemoration, as our prayer book calls it, on November 2nd, tomorrow, the day after All Saints Day, called Commemoration of the Faithful Departed. This is a lovely duo of feasts here at the end of our church calendar year. First, we have an opportunity to remember in order to celebrate the lives of the great saints of the church who have been noble examples of how to live and how to love and how to give and give again in the pattern of Jesus and through the enabling power of his Holy Spirit. And second, we recall all the faithful whose names are not engraved in books or enshrined on monuments, but were no less significant in their example to us personally. Some of those names here on this chalkboard this morning of how to live and how to love, how to give and give again in the pattern of Jesus. They live not only in ages past, there are hundreds of thousands still. The world is bright with the joyous saints who love to do Jesus' will. 
you can meet them in school or in lanes or at sea, in church or in trains or in shops or at tea. For the saints of God are just folk like me, and I mean to be one too. We recall parents, grandparents, siblings, coaches and teachers, employers and employees, mentors and dearest friends who have departed this life as faithful representatives, sharers of the gospel of Jesus Christ, positive influencers of our own lives. And today we recall through these children's baptism that they too, by their parents' influence, they too are being launched on a trajectory with heaven as the ultimate reward. While they journey here on earth, may Sally and DeVoe Drum and Mason Willard, I hope I have these names correct, may they know Jesus as Savior and Lord and grow in Christ-likeness to love and serve him. May there be joyous saints in their lives who show them how to do Jesus' will. For me, I, I hope for you, here begins a trinity of celebrations as we approach year's end. All Saints Day, Thanksgiving Day, Christmas Day. Why is All Saints Day and the day following the commemoration of all of the faithful departed an occasion for joy and celebration, gladness. Let me tell you why within the context of today's reading from the seventh chapter of Revelation. In this seventh chapter, John is in the heavenly throne room and sees the great gathering of the saved from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages. I have a favorite five words to fill in the blank to complete this sentence, heaven is a fill-in-the-blank. I want to share them with you this morning, albeit briefly. The five special words are anchored in scripture, here, there, and everywhere. And virtually all five of these words are referenced in today's reading from this seventh chapter of Revelation. The first one is, heaven is a destination. Sometimes people live in fear that death is our destination. At the end of our lives, after the journey of life, we arrive at our destination, death. No! <laughs> Heaven is our destination for all those of faith. Death is merely a doorway, a gateway, heaven is our destination for all those of faith. We can have the same expectancy. We might have traveling to a destination wedding, something to look forward to because of the people who will gather, the feasting, the love, the celebration that will greet us at the destination wedding. So we should not be surprised when John writes in the Revelation, after this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, innumerable as the stars of heaven, in other words, who have arrived at their destination. From every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, in other words, from all the four corners of the earth, 
standing, standing with confidence because justified by divine grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, in the immediate presence, in other words, of God their Creator and Jesus their Redeemer, and gather with all the other saints, all faithful departed. Heaven is a destination. Second word, heaven is a celebration. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders. The elders are up front as representative of the redeemed of mankind. And the four living creatures, representatives of the renewed creation, and they fell on their faces before the throne, prostrated in total submission and adoration before God and worshipped God, saying, Amen blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Words of adoration and thanksgiving for who he is and what he has done. Celebration. Heaven is a celebration. Joyous, ecstatic, everlasting. Imagine that you are in a football stadium full of 100,000 people gathered for the National Football Championship. Now, I know you Clemson folks have been there before. Imagine if you were a Carolina fan, a Gamecock, and you're playing in the National Championship, and it's near game's end. It is your team. Carolina has finally risen from the ashes, and they're winning. Imagine the ecstasy of all the fans who whose team is winning, that must, it must be, it must be like a foretaste of heaven. In heaven, the celebration never is exhausted. Heaven is also a purification, purification, thank goodness, as we are enabled by the power of the Holy Spirit to grow in Christ's likeness while we live here on earth. And through our Christ-like behavior, we make this a better place for others. When we arrive at death's doorway, there is always still more cleaning up the Lord needs to accomplish to finish his glorious work in us, more in some than others. We should not be surprised that John learns from one of the elders present who answers his own question, who are these clothed in white robes? The white robes are symbols of purity, spot-free sinlessness. And from where have they come? And the elder said to John, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation, the great tribulation that is life itself. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. John reminds us in his first letter the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. The blood of Christ shed vicariously on the cross as he bore our sins and died the death due to us. The blood has washed and purified the hearts of all these in white robes there in heaven, the elder says. And heaven is a reunion 
this great multitude that no one can number standing before the throne are all the saints and all the faithful departed, mothers and fathers, friends, fellow church members, children, grandparents, who because they are in Christ are in communion and fellowship with the Lord and one another. Those we have said goodbye to here on earth, we will see again. I believe this. I believe the Bible gives witness to this. I believe Jesus about this. And fifth and last word, heaven is coming home. Dorothy reminds us all, there is no place like home. Our reading from Revelation today concludes, and he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun will not strike them nor any scorching heat, for the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Listen to the author of Hebrews. These all died in faith, having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. They desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. God has prepared for them a city. Heaven is coming home. And what a homecoming that is for each of us. My father's last sermon was about wrestling with his own strong doubts about the reality of life after death. Strange for a 79-year-old priest, a man of great faith. In his sermon, he described this as a one-year spiritual pilgrimage that he made which was now behind him. He had resolved his doubts. Without giving all the details that he included in his sermon of that spiritual pilgrimage, I want to share with you today simply his conclusions. When I read this sermon in 1969 the first time, I was so very fearful that my father had died with these doubts still in his mind. But that was absolutely not the case. On the contrary, it was all as if the Lord was making Dad ready, and all of us ready, his family and his parishioners, preparing everyone for his departure in four days following that Sunday sermon. Dad preached this. But now it is time to tell you, that for you are wondering where in the world I am going with this sermon. It is time to assure you again that the process in my own mind has been thoroughly worked out and that have, I have found in certainty for myself the irreducible, not minimum, but maximum of demonstration that our Lord's words recorded in John 14, 19, because I live, you shall live also. Or as the good speed translation has it, because I live on, you shall live on too that these words are the truth. Dad finished his All Saints Day sermon 
And so on this All Saints Day, I can say to you from a cleared mind and a full heart, come to the holy banquet at which all souls, whether in this life or the life to come, meet at the family table of the Lord Christ. The communion experience, which is in itself the communion of all saints. Heaven is a destination, a celebration, a purification, a reunion. Heaven is coming home. Let us pray. For all the saints who from their labors rest, who thee by faith before the world confessed, thy name, O Jesus, be forever blessed. Alleluia, alleluia. The golden evening brightens in the west. Soon, soon, to faithful warrior cometh rest. Sweet is the calm of paradise, the blessed. Alleluia. Alleluia. But lo, there breaks a yet more glorious day. The saints triumphant rise in bright array. The King of glory passes on his way. Alleluia. Alleluia. Amen.